You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Good morning, all. I'm Scott Schuler. I'm a member of the teaching team here. Um, where there are five of us, and each of us has our own approach to the gospel and to teaching. Um, mine, I don't know that mine is unique, but mine is the idea of a shared journey. We are all knit together by God, gifted by God, that they're giving us all the gifts and attributes that he gives us, which we return to God for his blessing to be used and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be taken where he wants us to go for his purpose, a group that is intertwined, intermingled, international, supernatural, in order to do the work of God to accomplish mighty deeds here on earth while we do powers of war against powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And because I say that, that last part is important, I say every one of you has the right to come to me on any given week and say, if I am going to be doing uh, war against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places for the next seven days, are you going to help me or not? I've, it's, a, it's a hard slog. I am being beset on all sides by temptations, uh, by all manner of um, uh, battles, all manner of, what am I trying to say, challenges, difficulties, um, I can't do it alone, and while the Lord knows that he is uh, all that we need, he is our all-sufficient God, he has seen fit to knit us together into a group that, has, that loves, supports, buoys up, encourages each other. I need it all the time, and I imagine that a lot of you do too, as I've heard you uh, share with us. As the shared journey then, we're dealing with a journey which is in Genesis 12. There's a reason the Lord didn't ask me to write the Bible. (laughs) And it's not just that I wasn't alive 3,000 years ago. Um, But I would have put 13 after verse 9, I guess, and um, focused on the first part. And that's actually what I'm going to do. I was reminded, every every time I prepare a sermon, the same memory pops back into my head, sort of unbidden. When I was in seminary, there was a... um, a young man in my class, in my preaching class, and that was unusual enough, but when I went to seminary, there were no young people in the seminary. Uh, There was a time when everybody was young, they came out of school, they went to seminary, they came out 22, 23 years old, and they uh, went out into the church to begin their work of ministry. Everybody in seminary now is second, third, and fourth career. There was uh, Trudy Green, I remember, was 70 years old, uh, retired, and was uh, started her uh, seminary work in order to take a ministry, she was appointed to a church in northern Baltimore County. This young man I remember in particular, um, maybe you can picture him if I describe him right. He was um, a very earnest, very quiet, um, very studious, very threatened young man who was trying his best to understand how to go into ministry, how to deal with all the different challenges he was going to have, how to accept for himself the responsibilities that a a pastor has out there in the world. And he was in a class with a bunch of 50-year-olds and a teacher who was actually a colleague of uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King. This man knew how to preach. His name was Bobby McLean, and he could flat-out preach. And this guy, this young man, gets up and he does his sermon when it's his turn. And then, of course, what happens is we um, very lovingly, kindly... (laughs) point out the manifest flaws in all of the things that he was doing so that uh, by the time we all left the class, we were were all just uh, in in ruins. 
And, um, but he was, trying, he was trying so hard, and he was so earnest, and he was so scared, and his voice was cracking, and he was shaking, and he was losing his place. And um, I understand that. But what I end up saying to him when it was my turn to criticize him, I said, you know, you're a young man. You are going to be a pastor for a long time. Save something for next week. He took his passage, and he just felt like anything that he left out, anything that he left out would be viewed as an oversight or as a weakness. And every piece of Scripture, not only is there uh, many, many points to be made, lots of points to be made. Any, anything in uh, uh, Genesis 12, if you've read it, there are 75 sermons in there, every bit of it. And so the question becomes, one: when I go to the Lord, I say, okay, Lord, what's the point? What point this week with this group of people, given where I am, given where they are, as you know, which is the point? And I like it when there's only one point. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, um, historical note here, you know what I'm going to say now, right? Abram, not, not Abraham. No clue. He's, well, that was it. <laughs> that was the clue. He's, a, he's still Abram at this point. The Lord has not renamed him Abraham. So in this particular part of the scripture, we Christians who have been reading Abraham for a long, long time and even singing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, we have, we have to um, struggle sometimes to say Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. Must have been, must have been more in there somewhere between the time he said that and, and went, just all the things you have to think about. But the Bible treats it this way. Uh, whatever he was thinking, whatever he had preparations he had to make, it didn't make any difference. His going was a foregone conclusion. He was going to obey. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Well, there are two points. <laughs> I wanted one. I put in my request. I put it in early. So just in case uh, God was going to be busy and needed to consider it over of all the other requests he was getting, he gave me two points. First point. Somebody must remember this, right? Am, am I too old? Are, the, the, are kids reading this now? <laughs> I'm starting to find out that almost all my cultural references are really falling on deaf ears to a lot of people. The response to God's call. The map shows that he had gone from Ur up to Haran, that's where he was, and now he was going down to Canaan. And God's call was very simple, go. 
I think about this a lot because, um, first of all, about the call in our own lives, but I also think about this, and I'll be talking about this more in a few minutes, about the church. The church is called to go. The church is called to move, to do things, to, uh, to make progress, uh, to reach out, to do things which it would ordinarily would not do. Almost a lot, of the thing, a lot of things we are told to go and do are things that we would rather not do. I assume that Abra- Abram, Abraham, would have been just as happy to stay where he was. The land was rich, he had plenty of crops, his family was there, he was at home, he was at peace. Uh, There was no reason for him especially to move uh, from where he was, and the Lord says to go, and I'm not even going to tell you where it is. I will show you. A lot of us are here, I think, because God told us to go here. I've been seeing that a lot, that's why I'm here. Um, I didn't know this church was here. I, you never see it when you drive by. I don't, I don't drive by this street. I have any, no, any reason to drive by this street. Um, the Lord brought us here um, against what the uh, human odds would have been very great. And I think a lot of us is here, as I hear the stories from people, go to a place that I will show you. And that calls us to a position of obedience, to do something we would not ordinarily do. We as a human being, one of the, the uh, adjectives the descriptors that are used in the Bible a lot about people that the Lord is getting impatient with is stiff-necked. Remember that term? They're stiff-necked people. They were stiff-necked people. Um, when I asked them to bow, they wouldn't do it. When I asked them to go, they wouldn't do it. I don't care what I asked them to do, they wouldn't do it. And even then, I led them through the, uh, the Red Sea, within, uh, and they saw the Red Sea part. Within a week, they were worshiping a cow. This is a headstrong people. And I think that uh, when we think about ourselves, the things we want to do, the things we want our church to be, the things we want our career to be, the way we thought our lives were going to turn out, the plans we had put together, the goals we had set, if anything turns us away from those oftentimes, it's a very hard thing for us to do. Say, I've I've got to give that up. Sometimes you give it up because you're 62 years old. (laughs) That happened, a lot of those goals have gone away. I said, if I started now, unless God really wanted me to have that, there's no time to reach that goal. Too much time has gone by, and I just am going to have to settle for lesser things. We all have uh, ways we want our things to be. We have ways that we want our family to be. We have just everything. You know how it is. We have have all these intentions, all these desires, and when they are not met, uh, they are difficult. And when we are told to give them up, it's more difficult yet, especially if you've been harboring these ideas for your whole life. Obedience, in and of itself, for a stiff-necked people such as us, as us is not a natural thing. It's difficult, and it requires a certain uh, attitude of the Spirit, which the Holy Spirit develops within us. And then trust. A land that I will show you. Lord, I haven't seen it yet. Can't you give me a hint? Does it start with a B? Where am I going? What kind of, you know, is it far from here? Am I, you know, am I going to need a passport? Am I going to need a visa? Do I have to sell my house? In this market? You'd better be behind my selling the house or we're going to be in, you know, I'm going to be here for a long time. All the kinds of things that you have to trust, all the things that you would uh, uh, like to hold on to and say, I'd rather handle this myself. I might do a bad job, but at least I'll, you know, I'll know where I'm going. I have an idea what my next steps are going to be. When you turn something over to anybody else, even God, it's really tough. Go to the land that I will show you. And he sets out and just without having any idea where he's going to go, which, of course, is an act of faith. 
which is also difficult. One of the things about faith that I love is the fact that faith also is a gift. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that faith is something that we develop ourselves in response to something that is worthy of having our faith placed in. We are given a full measure of faith. Remember that scripture? We are given a full measure of faith with which we are expected to turn it over to the Lord and let Him use it in the measure He gave us. And that's why a lot of us have uh, different levels of faith. It took me a long time to stop being jealous of people who seemed to have a better relationship with God than I did. It took a long time to stop being jealous of people who were willing to go places and do things which I thought I was not willing to do. Maybe it just was the fact that they had a different measure of faith than I had. Now, I don't know that that's true or not, but I know it's prayer worthy. So, that's why my, you know, my prayers are getting longer and longer because there's just more and more to pray about. As, as you go to the Lord and pray, what do you want me to pray about? Open my eyes to the things you want me to pray about. The list gets longer. On the other hand, some of them get shorter because they're answered. You say thanks for a little while and then let that prayer go. Faith, of course, is um, one of the most important things to the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, a scripture that I, that I always have before me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Um, I've always told people at work, I'm willing to tackle the difficult. I'm willing to tackle the very difficult. The impossible, I don't even give it a shot. I, if you can recognize what impossible is, you can stop wasting time trying to achieve it. Faith, can on, faith and faith it must be present in order to please God. So the response. I love this proverb. You know, in seminary, I don't know if it was true in your seminary, in mine, they had a great deal of contempt for the proverbs. They treated the proverbs like a bunch of bromides, like uh, you know something that was sort of stuck into the uh, Bible for the weak-minded, people who needed a couple of sound bites, a couple of these kinds of things. They, they really had, I was... It was one of the first things that began to uh, help, help me to understand it was time to be on my guard, test every spirit, even at a place where I thought I was safe, where I thought I was amongst uh, like-minded people, where I thought I was amongst my brothers and sisters in the faith, I was not. There were plenty of people in there who were not, uh, including one of the things about the seminary that I was in, it was a United Methodist seminary, they had a lot of Unitarians in there, who in the end... It, intimidated one professor so much that he wouldn't pray in Jesus' name anymore. Okay, I can see, Lord, we're just going to have to find the like-minded people in here. Where is the church within what should be the church? And that's who I'm going to associate with. And we just, we uh, prayed our way through that way. But it was, it was rough when we have a seminary that's basically telling you, I'm not going to pray in, with, uh, for, in Jesus' name anymore because that lady doesn't like it. And I don't want to upset her so we're going to stop. The Proverbs, I think, is just like the rest of Scripture. It's inspired of God, the Word of God, and I love this one. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, we've talked about this in the past. As far as the, um, when you become a Christian, when you join a church that loves the Lord, that follows the Lord, where the Lord is the Lord, where the Lord is truly in charge of the church and we just simply do his bidding... Uh, We go directly to the Lord, and it is the Lord who directs our steps. And if we don't hear from the Lord, we don't act. And the world looks at us and says, you're crazy. Don't you know you have a deadline? Don't you know you have to do this, that, or the other thing? Don't you know how crazy it is for for, for not to have a committee or a group who makes all of the decisions? Um, Relying on God, individually 
and two, as a church, throws the world for a loop. They don't know what to make of it. But they do think that it's a big mistake. And when we do that in our lives, we find out that we have opened ourselves up for a degree of challenge from people, including our own, our own background, our own past, where we used to be that way before we responded to the call and started doing these things. I don't care how it looks to others, except for the fact that I want to be salt and light. It is foolishness to those who are perishing, which means there is a limit to what we can hope to achieve with the people when we try to explain why we're doing what we're doing. What do you mean you're not going to do this until you pray? You're going to, you know, tell somebody at work, I'll do this, I'm going to pray over it. There goes that promotion. But who do we serve? And we are set apart. We're different. We're supposed to be different. In fact, at a certain point, you goes by, you know, I like being different. I don't want to be like the man I used to be. I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't want those to be my motivations. I don't want those to be the kind of things I find to be acceptable. It doesn't mean we don't love the people. We just don't want to be like them. Being different is okay with me. I, uh, I, uh, when I was in school, peer pressure was, a, was an absolute guarantee of getting me to fall in the line. Uh, anything that came out uh, when, when bell-bottoms came out, remember those? Bell-bottoms, when bell-bottoms came out. Remember, you, there was a time when you couldn't wear white socks anymore. Like, uh, literally, that happened one Christmas. Christmas of seventh grade, all the white socks had to go. Everybody, and I don't know how they did it, but everybody on the 3rd of January, when I went back to school, had dark socks. <laughs> and so I, that, I, was, I was mortified. And anything like that, peer pressure. Um... Upsetting people, differing with people, disagreeing with people, making them angry, arousing their ire, getting them to attack. You know, how different are you willing to be? But we're not alone. And it goes back to something I said a little bit earlier. Yes, we do have God to help us. We do have the Holy Spirit to help us. He is our intercessor. He is our helper. He is our counselor. He is our comforter. Uh, he is with us all the time. And yet the Lord knows we, have, we do very poorly if we don't have people around us to tell us, you know, I think you're on the right track. Let me know what I can do. How can I help? Can I pray for you? We're not alone, not only with God, but also with each other. Now, again, the church has a journey. This church is on a journey. Of course, every church is on a journey, but a lot of churches are, are uh, either not in a hurry to go or unwilling to go. One of the things I love about this church is its eagerness to go. The Lord says to us when, he, when our pastor moved away, when a number, there are a lot of people in this church who, like the Meekins I know, went to where, Lynchburg. We have people within the church that, that uh, thought, man, it's really great having these folks in the church. The Lord calls them somewhere else, and instead of mourning, instead of trying to talk them out of it, we say, are you hearing, are you hearing the word of the Lord on this? Is the Lord telling you this? If so, Godspeed, how can I support you? I love that you're doing this. I love that you're willing to do this. Uh, that you're willing to go where the Lord tells us. How can we support you? This church is going there right now. We have not the slightest idea of where we're going to be in a year, do we? Other than, I know this, farther into the will of God. Because I believe that's what this church is all about. I believe that's what the people in this church really, truly want. We have reached a point of surrender, and we say, I want where the Lord takes us. I have not the slightest idea what it looks like, but I am willing not to put together a list of my demands, 
for what the church must look like if I'm going to stay. When Abram went to Canaan, he had to ask these uh, questions of the people he was in the midst of. He didn't know the Canaanites very well. Uh, didn't have the internet, didn't have any way to Google Canaanites. So when he gets to Canaan, he finds out, who are these people? Uh, we are like this when we are sent into the world, where we're planted. Who are these people? What do they need? Is there? I, I think this all the time. Is there a way I can present Jesus to them that will like flip a switch in their heads and make them say, okay, I get it. I, I need to know this better. I think this all the time. Is there something I could say? Have I just been saying the wrong thing all this time? Have I been sending out the wrong signals all this time? Have I been a lousy example all this time? Is there something I can say to them that will make them say, I have to, I have to find out who this Jesus is? I have a hunger, and I've been, I've been feeding on the wrong stuff. I've been looking for the wrong things. I know now where my thirst should go. Who are these people? Um, one of the advantages, says me, of coming to the Lord at a late age is having a pretty good idea how atheists think. And I have to, one of the things I have to confess, shared journey, right? I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Nobody, nothing I have ever said to anybody would have worked on me. Nothing. No matter how convincing, no matter how much faith I had, no matter how much I obviously believed it, none of those words worked on anything for me. These things are spiritually discerned, and I wasn't using my spirit then. The thirst comes from within, and it's a matter of, uh, at some point, helping people to find out you know, where to find the living water. I still don't know what to say to them. I'm, I consider myself to be really good with people who are already in the flock. Um, I'm terrible out there. I'd like to get better. Maybe somebody can help me. Maybe we can help each other. But I'm terrible out there. And when, when Abram went to the Canaanites, um, they were completely, you know, what do they need? What do the people of Arnold need? Thing two is worship. When our forebear, Abram, got to Canaan and then to Shechem, he built a temple. He, not a temple, an altar so that he could worship. He worshiped then and there. Didn't he have to wait until 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? That's when we worship around here. We, uh, worship time is in the bulletin. It's in the internet. It's on the, you know, we can find it anywhere. This Show up at 11 o'clock and we'll worship. But I think the idea of having personal worship at a time that the Lord moves within you, I, I think more than ever, it's, it has to be a part of our faith journey. It has to be a part of our lives. As Christians, to be in touch and worship God at any time, any place. One of the things that um, uh, I remember is a prayer that uh, Ezekiel said one time. He was being called into the uh, chamber of the king. And we think about sometimes you pray, you know, I, we pray without ceasing. I prayed for days about this. I prayed for weeks. Ezekiel had his hand on the doorknob, and his prayer was, was, was literally as long as it took him to turn the doorknob and go in. He can't say to the king, I'll, I'll be in when I'm done praying. Sit tight there on your big throat. No. A one-second prayer. Worship is a part of our lives, and it includes, it includes the prayer that we do. Of course, you don't have to wait till then. I find that worship, when it is spontaneous, when it is heartfelt, is irresistible. I have to praise. I can't turn my... You know, I met about two nights a week 
I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I just know I have to pray. I just know it. Um, and I have to get up in the morning, believe me. And I like my sleep. And I need my sleep more than I used to. But I get up out of bed and I, I, I know I have to pray. The Lord wants to talk to me about something. And I go and sit out back. I don't care what the weather is. Um, if it's cold, I just bundle up. And I go out there and just pray. And just the Lord always leads me into something. Always, always, always. But it did not happen before I started opening myself up and say, Lord, I am available for you anytime, whenever you want. I'm not going to give you a calendar. I'm not going to give you a schedule. I'm not going to give you a list of uh, what I do and do not do. And the other thing that I learned was I am not going to, to have for myself a vision in my heart about what any of this looks like. Almost every image I've ever had, almost every preconception, just like I was looking at people who have faith and I was, like, um, I was envious of them, I said, that's what faith looks like. If I don't have it, it can't be faith because faith looks like that. Faith looks like what that person is doing. The relationship that that person has is the relationship I want when Jesus is telling me, we have a relationship. Will you knock it off? I love you just the way you are. I, this is the relationship I have designed for you. Trust me that it is the kind of relationship I want you to have, and that is best for you as I understand you, that I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. But it is irresistible, and it is wonderful. And it puts us in touch with the God who uh, knows what he wants for us. Everything that comes out of our lives comes out of our relationship with God. We don't want anything that has, has nothing to do with God. Is that fair to say? If it comes from outside of God, if it comes from any place other than God, we already know that that puts us at enmity with God. That's not what we're interested in. I think about worship in the, a, a couple of examples here. Just the spontaneous uh, worship in First Kings, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed, didn't even get up. Nehemiah, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, and then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground, the whole, the whole place, in spontaneous worship, dropped right there. I don't know that they came there intending to worship, but it was time. Matthew, and suddenly, so they weren't expecting him, Jesus met them, greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. What is the nature of our worship, of your worship, when you're not here. This is a time of transition for the church. We're going someplace where the Lord is going to take us. Uh, what, sh what should worship look like here in a year? Should it look different than it is now? I like the services personally. This is and I've this is personal, so I've subjugated it, but I've mentioned it. I like when we have prayer for people during the church service. I just happen to like that. I like when somebody says they need prayer. We bring them up front, we lay hands on them, and we pray for them. We did that for Amanda once, I remember, when she was feeling so sick. Um, I like what we had. One time I was scheduled to preach, and they said, you know, I just feel like the Lord, I think Steve said this, the Lord seems to be leading us to a time of prayer where we're just going to have a prayer service today. Is that okay with you? I, are you kidding? If the Lord says it, it's okay. And um, it was a fact. Does anybody remember that one? A rem that was a remarkable time. And here I am delivering a message and saying one of the best services I've ever been to didn't have a message in it. Sometimes it doesn't. But the idea of going where the Lord leads us, the idea of prayer, the idea of praying for people, trusting in the power of God to heal, um, I, just, I just 
happen to love that. We'll see. We'll see what the Lord wants to do with us. Because I have an image which I have to say, nope, no preconceived notions. You take us where you're going to take us. Don't let me wall you in. There is no proper time. Um, I'll wait till I get home. I've pulled over in the car and worshipped. You ever done that? I can't drive any farther. I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I'm a, you know, I almost ran through a red light. I pulled over a couple times. I want to worship right here, and I'll know when I'm done. No proper setting. And the proper words are the words of adoration, love, praise, surrender, service, obedience. I, I don't always know, what does worship look like? Even here, we're worshiping now, right? It's, it's funny, I mean, if you ask different people for an image of worship, you know, we're not, we're not jumping around, we're not waving flags. In Toronto, there's a church where they wave brooms in the air. I don't get that. But the um, worship here is surrender for his purpose, to be used for his purpose. I think that's what we're doing now is worship. In our lives, there's worship corporately, out on our own, with the Bible, without, inside, outside. Where would, where would an appropriate place for worship not be? One of the things I always preach in closing that I always teach is the importance of prayer. And so, how about for prayer? Lord, show me how to worship you. How do you want to be worshipped? What can I show you? What can I do for you? Lead me and guide me in the proper worship. How do you want to be treated by me? How do you want to be regarded by me? What actions do you want me to take? What words? You know, you're talking to God. Tell me. I want to know. I'll do it. Give ourselves over to the Lord for worship and prayer. It's the way that we, to stay in touch with the Lord who's going to get us through this, this terrible week that's facing us, all the, um, the war that we're at. I've, I've said over and over again about the war we're at with uh, powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness with high places. It never stops. It never, it never goes away. They are continually at us because one of the things that you have done by pleasing the Lord is you have made Satan really mad. Uh, he thought that he had a lot of us in his back pocket when we were complacent, thought we had God figured out. We find out now that we don't, and he doesn't take it lying down. But, of course, we are uh, the victors, ultimately. Can we go to the Lord in prayer, please? Gracious God, our desire to follow you, to please you, to honor you, to glorify you, to serve you, and to carry your message to the world, to carry your love to the world, it, uh, it, it's overwhelming. We are pleased and and, uh, grateful to you, Lord, that you have put with this within our hearts, that you have stirred up within us the the thirst to know you, honor you, and glorify you. Take us, Lord, now and open our eyes to the things that we could be doing better. Open our eyes to the things you want us to repent of. Make known to us the things that uh, you want us to do, uh, the people you want us to speak to, the people you want us to serve. Make known to us, Lord, your will, and then empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to go and do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.